The following podcast is a presentation of Project Entertainment Network. Welcome to Vicious Whispers with Mark Tullius, your source for horror, sci-fi, suspense, and all things violent. Yeah, no, let's get that up. Burp on. Let me see. This is probably good. Oh, that's why we're not hearing it. Check, check, check. Uh, I don't hear it at all. Oh, I love Heineken. Oh, there we go. Oh, did it make you burp a lot? I'm not a belchy guy. My my wife's belchy. My dad's belchy. Is that your wife saying, get the fuck home? What are you doing? No, no, it's just uh, some fucking junk mail, probably. Um, no, she remembers you. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Um, no, dude, I was, uh, I was excited. My wife was super cool and happy about me going out. Like she's like, have fun. Yeah, because like, yeah, I'd never do that. All right, let's, let's do this. Uh, let's see. All right, so we're recording on this. One, two, three. I'm not even going to bother listening to that anymore. All right. Um, all right. Welcome to Vicious Whispers. Different kind of intro. A little bit more laid back. Uh, that's because I'm keeping my voice down because we're in the meeting room at the Marriott. And where are we? Providence, Rhode Island. With the one and only. Fucking Matt Santos, the dude who fucked up my ribs really bad <laughs> when I went into a jiu-jitsu match that I had absolutely fucking zero reason to go into. Like, it was ridiculous. Fucking, like, I was ashamed of it. I had no business being in there. Um, I deserved to get injured by him. But, Matt, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me, man. It's a pleasure seeing you again. Yeah, dude. No, this is yeah, awesome. You're my homeboy. This is cool. Um, you know what? One thing, <coughs> before we even get into anything else about who you are and fucking all that, um, I want to say thanks for coming down here tonight because, dude, uh, I usually, I met with uh, Evan Scott today. He's from uh, Lozon's gym. Okay. I interviewed him a long time ago. Uh, and it was cool. It was cool getting back together. But it was just like, I don't know, it was a little bit, you know, he was kind of thinking like, why does he want to talk to me? You know, why do I want to talk to him? Blah, blah, blah. Um, and so, I don't know. I always, I think both of us undervalue ourselves. Uh, so when you said, like tonight, you asked me what I was doing. Like, oh, I gotta be at home. You said you would drive out to me. Uh, we would hang out. I was like, dude, that was cool. Someone that's actually gonna come out, wants to see me, wants to spend time with me. So thank you for doing that, man. And you showed me a great time tonight. It was awesome uh, hearing your approach to life and uh, how you raise a kid, like all that kind of stuff. So uh, I was like, it's been awesome. Yeah, so it's like this, you know, this is why I look at, like, when you have a, something in common that with somebody, and you've become friendly with them. Like, that, mm. that alone is reason enough. Like, I've traveled a lot my whole life. And, you know, my mom's from Italy. And, you know, I've done martial arts probably close to 30 years now. I'm, I'm pretty old. Uh, but, like, I made a friend who taught JKD. When I was, when I was first starting MMA and shit. So I made a friend who taught JKD. And he lived about an hour and a half on like country roads no less than that an hour on country roads away from my mom's family which lives in the sticks also but we're closer to the beach um and anytime i went out there for years until i lost like i finally lost contact with him i would make sure either i drove out to see him we made plans to meet up like to have a friendship with somebody who loves martial arts like you do and like i do like it's great, like, it, it, you know, guys make friends easily, 
for the most mm-hmm. part, like this is I'm not, I'm not trying to be sexist, but like for the most part, guys make friends easily. Mm-hmm. But like to have like somebody you you vibe with and you get along with that loves what you love, that's that's great, man. That's reason enough for me to come out and make sure we oh, awesome. we hang out. You know, like oh, right like on. I've I've got friends all over the world from martial arts, just like guys who I I see once every three or four years. Uh, like I I think the last time I saw you was. Before my son was born, so yeah, yeah, it's been a long time. So like over seven years, but I was excited that you were going to be out here. You know, like I don't know, that's just the way I look at things. Dude, that's awesome. Um, yeah, so for you, those of you of you that don't know, um, I interviewed Matt for damn unlocking the cage. Yeah, nine, nine years ago, I think. Yeah, uh, that's the, right. He was on the first trip. I didn't know what the fuck I was doing. I'd never interviewed people before in my life. Um, yeah, I almost wasn't going to do it. Like, if that trip didn't turn out well, then I wasn't going to do the project. Like, it was going to be over. Oh, nice. um, I had no faith in myself. I was like, fucking, my wife had trust in me. She's like, go for it. She's like, 21 days, you know. If it's cool, then continue it. If it's not, you know, just fucking shut it down because I want you here to raise our daughter and everything else. And so I had every reason to not do it. Uh, but then I came out, and then the interviews, man, they were fucking awesome. So being on the road sucked. I hated going from place to place to place to place, and it wasn't fun. But it was the in, like the individual interviews that were fucking what motivated me, man. It's just like hearing hearing what happened in someone else's life. Like just sharing that. Like I know what you did as a kid. I know how you were with your cousins. I know all these different stories that you shared. I was like, that's a cool fucking connection. <clears throat> I'm able to learn from people like you, uh, see what was cool, see what was bad. So, yeah, and just understanding myself. I don't know. It, it's just a, such a cool experience. Um, like with Evan's interview, it kind of sucked because it was rushed. It was still good, but I only had like 10 to 15 minutes with him. On our first interview, shit, man, we hung out and we had a good long interview. And so that was pretty awesome. I got to under, like, we got to understand each other a little bit more, uh, which was awesome. So I don't know. That was cool. Yeah, so my approach with a lot of this stuff, um, and it's also translated into like uh, a job that I've had as, as a recruiter, is it's better to have a conversation than an interview. So a conversation takes place, hey, uh, we're going to just hang out and talk for a little bit. We're going to mm-hmm. get comfortable with each other, and we're going to get to know each other as people a little bit, you know. You can't really, you can never truly know somebody, right? You know, as all philosophers, philosophers will say, but like you get to know each other a little bit, and then you can start an interview. And, you know, and like same thing with, with with anything. Like you, a conversation where where you ask questions is a way different representation of who you are. So, like, if you and I are talking for about you know twenty minutes, and then I ask you a bunch of questions. Mm-hmm doesn't feel like you're prying, like I'm prying yeah. into you, you know, yeah. so it's an easier way to talk to somebody, you know. because yeah. like, I was asking you a lot of questions tonight that normally a lot of people might be like, what the fuck are you asking me about how I raised my kid, yeah. you know, like especially if it was right off the bat and we didn't know each other that yeah. well or whatever, some people might take it like that, um, but yeah, 
you know, so that was cool that you could take those kinds of questions and that we could have that kind of conversation. Because uh, I always tell everyone, man, I, was like, I don't know the best thing, so I want to learn, man. I want to yeah. learn. That's what I was doing, like, on the road. I was asking, like, guys, like, hey, man, how do you raise your kids? You yeah. know, and then I could tell if they're happy or not, if they had a good relationship and stuff like that. I was like, okay, I don't want to do what that dude did, but let's do him. Like, yeah. he's got a good approach to life or even philosophy or, like, how you overcame anything. Um, so I think that is super cool. But... Dude, enough about me and my thoughts. Uh, let's get to you. Uh, tell me a little bit, man, about yourself, how you got into martial arts, or what and what martial arts has done for you. You already talked a little bit about, well, earlier we were talking about friendship, but man, maybe dive into that. Like, what has what has martial arts given you? All right. So, I, you know, I grew up. I'm a, I'm a, I'm the youngest of nine male cousins. And I'm clumsy by nature. So all my cousins were already well into their development. And then there comes me. And I'm tripping over my feet and smashing into people. So my dad, who is not clumsy, he's a good athlete, even, even now while well, he's old, but whatever. Uh, he's 73 years old. My dad was a judo brown belt. He was a good martial artist. And he started teaching me judo to try and teach me balance. Mm -hmm. Uh, I've got great balance in martial arts, great balance in sports. I'm still clumsy. I still trip over my feet. Mm -hmm. uh, now it's not as cool because I'm, you know, I'm getting up and up there in age. But like, I fall downstairs probably once every two or three years. I'll fall down a flight of stairs. Like I'm just, I'm just a klutz. So my start in martial arts was like self-preservation, not from bullying, but just from my, just from me. Mm -hmm. um, and that's how I started martial arts. And did you like it at that point? Did you want to be doing it, or was it something that you were forced into? Nah, my dad was always real cool about sports. Like my I, first sport I can remember is gymnastics. Uh, you know, then I think it was gymnastics, swim team, maybe little league baseball, which I was garbage at. Basketball. So my middle name's Kareem after Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, because my dad loves basketball. I was fucking. I was super garbage at basketball, um, diving, but like I, I started playing football when I was seven. I was decent at football. I threw the shot, put discus and hammer. That that those three sports, even though I was just okay at them, nothing, no great shakes. Uh, it taught me about practice and like practice has to suck as far as I'm concerned. Like if you're having fun in practice, like and I and that translates yeah. like. My training at my gym, like, it's just got to suck. It's got to be horrible. You got to hate it. And if not, you're not going to get better. You know, skill acquisition, like learning new things, not necessarily so. But if you want to practice, if you want to drive yourself to that top level, like, there's only so much, you know, being playful you can do. Yeah. You got you to gotta grind. Dude, I just had this conversation with my son. And because he... We've, we've kind of babied him. He's eight years old, dude. Uh, I'm not going to have another man. one. Like, dude, so we baby him. Yeah. Like, this, the camp he's going to, it's all day long. It's fucking hot as shit out, like, right now. I wouldn't want to be out there. That's what I told my wife. I'm like, I wouldn't want to be out there. And he's complaining about being sore. I'm like, dude, yeah, take the day off. Like, if you don't want to go, this is supposed yeah. to be for fun, man. Yeah. Like, fucking, but, uh, completely forgot my point. 
<laughs> I had a probably decent one, but let's continue. No, the, we were talking about how uh, practice has to suck. Oh, thank you. So I was telling him that. Um, I'm like, look, dude, you're going to be uncomfortable. Like, it's going to be hot today. You're going to do all kinds of fun stuff. You're going to enjoy it. You're going to have your friends. Like, you're going to be hot. It's going to be uncomfortable. You might even have a rash. might hurt a little bit. Like, I was like, sports? Sports are going to suck. I was like, football practice sucks. Like, it, it fucking yeah. sucks. Sometimes you might puke. You're going to hurt. You're, you're not going to want to go. But... Like it's gonna to toughen you up. You're gonna get through it. If it if it's worth it, then then continue to do it. Like if it's something you want yeah. to do. Uh, but yeah, having that talk with my eight year old. Like I don't know if I ever got that kind of talk. Um, I didn't. I don't know if I had sports as like that kind of idea. Like oh shit, yeah, I'm gonna to have to commit to this. Like this is gonna be painful. It's not gonna be really enjoyable. Like maybe it'll be worth it. And I think I think everything we've done has probably been worth it. I yeah. think it's been worth it for me. I've, I've questioned that, but for you, uh, with injuries, with everything else, with. Uh, ups and downs in teaching or whatever you've gone through even with the pandemic um you know has it been worth it has, has martial arts been worth it yeah of course like um i'm a different person than most people and that that's you know it's good and bad like you know i'm probably a little bit more callous than i should be you know like i don't ever look at someone's blood as a bad thing like it's, mm. it's just you're just bleeding like so you know, it's, I've, you know, being a dad, I've also had to, like, relearn that sort of thing. But, like, I'm a different person. Like, I am a lifelong martial artist. I've, I've done, I've done some sort of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and Muay Thai kickboxing. On average, if you, if you want to, like, if you, if you assume a training session is a two-hour day, on average, I've done Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and Muay Thai or MMA every day of the week going back to 1997. That's I started Brazilian Jiu Jitsu in 1998. Wow. So the amount of double sessions and six hour days that I had when I was first starting, like I just loved it. Like mm -hmm. my first Jiu Jitsu tournament, I didn't do Jiu Jitsu yet. I just entered watching UFCs never wrestled growing up i just i would watch ufc's and i would try and like figure things out with my good friend matt donahue and george tebow like we would try and figure it out and like we were, we were idiots man <laughs> like i had, <clears throat> my first jiu-jitsu tournament i was 204 the weight class cutoff below me was 200 pounds i was a jkd dude and the way I looked at it, there are no weight classes in the street back then. Yeah. So I just, I'm like, fine, I'll be a heavyweight. And I entered intermediate because that was the highest level you could enter at the time. I didn't know how to, how to play guard. I didn't know how to close my guard. I couldn't do an arm bar from guard. I didn't know how to break guard and pass guard. I didn't know anything, anything at all. And I entered a jiu-jitsu tournament. I got my ass whooped, dude. I got owned, like, and like being tough and scrappy, which I am, like the match took way longer than it should have. Like none of my students that are intermediates now would take that long with somebody with zero talent of jiu-jitsu. But like things were different back then. Um, I entered another jiu-jitsu tournament and then I met my first coach. But like after my first coach, I got, I got pretty good at jiu-jitsu, decent at jiu-jitsu, 
especially nogi uh, at a really rapid pace because I would just I'm a practicer you know mm -hmm. like that that's that's something I'm passing on to my son right now even though like he's a golf kid he plays baseball he plays soccer um, I try to keep him away from football but like even jiu-jitsu like he and I wrestle and have fun by he he wants nothing to do with taking class yet mm -hmm. um, but he likes to practice things and that's if you can if you can drill that into your kids it doesn't matter if it's sports if it's violin if it's telling jokes jokes if it's magic tricks if you're a practicer as a kid you're gonna be good at anything you know dude that's that's awesome that's that, that's exactly why i'm like find something you like and just do it and you're gonna be awesome yeah like you're gonna be incredible at it um one of the things i wanted to talk to you about and one of the things that my wife and i kind of struggled with with uh martial arts and how or even any sports and how much we should push our kid or or you know try to get them to to do it or whatever else um yeah what's what's your approach on it so here's the thing like a sports in general uh is super specialized now and the amount of people who make a living off of sports is still the same amount probably even less the ratio is probably even less than when yeah. you went to school and when i was in school yeah so unless your kid has a genetic superiority a severe innate talent like aim for a pitcher let your kid play a bunch of sports yeah like that's awesome they're rarely gonna be professionals but they might have fun like the, the baseball pitcher might not play baseball again after they graduate high school. Hmm. But the the hammer thrower might play a, a, a slow pitch softball league the rest of his life. Hmm. You know, like, I, I, I was in the military and like when I got active duty, I went into the National Guard, I had a regular job. I got fat. When I was in active duty, I, uh, I saw the first UFC and that looked like fun to me. Mm. like don't know why I wasn't that much of a martial artist I just played football you know I never wrestled or anything like that um, and started looking for it right away as soon as I got back to duty don't find anything I find a uh, Kempo school who at the brown and black belt they teach you ground fighting I'm like I, I don't really want to stand there and punch in the air like that wasn't my like I was just not in love with that style of martial arts training I, I appreciate the value of it. It just wasn't for me. Mm. Um, so I just cast around, cast around. I find a JKD school. This dude, Keith Allen. Uh, rest in peace, Keith Allen. Became a really lifelong friend of mine. Uh, he was my JKD coach. He and this dude, Matt Donahue. Matt Donahue was my boy from middle school. Like I would train with Matt all the time. And then because I worked a weird schedule, uh, I worked four to midnights at 911, uh, answering phone calls. I had a weird schedule. Matt didn't. He would train whenever I was free. He's like, he's like, I work nine to five. Whenever you're free to train, we'll train. And we would train. We'd get together and train for six hours on a Saturday, on a Sunday, like madmen, trying to figure out jujitsu on our own because there was no jujitsu in our area. Start doing that. I get into jiu-jitsu. I start practicing that. And, like, 
I go from having the perfect schedule when you're 22, 24 years old and you want to go out and meet, meet, uh, meet people and have fun and everything like that to, hey, you know what? I'm going to switch schedules, schedules with somebody and work midnight to eight so I can train more. Mm-hmm. Like within less than a year of starting jiu-jitsu, I went from having an awesome schedule so I can have fun and, and be a young kid to I will work the worst schedule that there is in imagination midnight to eight it's horrible just so i could train more my first birthday after i started jiu-jitsu i drove two hours to uh springfield mass like springfield area around amherst uh do you know kirik genesis from, oh yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah I'm hoping to, to train with kirik to train with kirik i trained with him wow. for like three or four hours on my birthday wow. and then drove two hours home i did an eight hour day dedicated to jiu-jitsu on my birthday my girlfriend wanted to hang out. I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm doing jiu-jitsu. Like, so that's my, like, I'm a passionate guy like that. I like new things. And I like learning, like acquiring new skills. So I start doing jiu-jitsu, all this other stuff. First MMA fight comes up. First first fight in the one I was in. I do that. Do a few more fights. I start making money off of fighting. Well, not my hobby's job. And it's not just for fun. It's now it's, I got to train my butt off or I'm going to lose. Mm-hmm. And if I lose, I won't make money. And if, you know, if I don't make money, what's, what's the point of doing this? You know, like if, I, if I'm, if I'm a professional fighter, I should make money. I should try and right. do my best. Um, so there goes my hobby. I love martial arts. I still love martial arts to this day. Like you can definitely teach me new stuff in martial arts. Mm-hmm. Like I can go back and train like, during the pandemic, I was training stick fighting with my son. I haven't done Kali in over 20 years. I remember some of it. I remember most of it. But, like, my son wanted to learn. I had Kali sticks, so I started showing him. Uh, I like I like acquiring skills. I just like being good at things. You know, it's, it's fun for me. So, non-martial arts is a job, so it can't be my fun. I opened a school, like, probably a couple years later uh, in different circumstances. So from there, I became a golfer. I was garbage at golf. I'm not really good at, I'm not great at sports. I'm good at football. I'm good at athletic abilities, but I'm not great at sports all the time. Um, Like I've got decent aim, I can, you know, I'm middling, I guess would probably be the best way to say things. So I start playing golf and I get into it. I remember one year when I was, I had a Jiu-Jitsu Super Fight tournament coming up and I played golf four times a week for like two months straight. So I found a really cheap course not far from my house. Like, I think it was like eight bucks for uh, nine holes, maybe less than that. So I would just play a ton of golf. Never got really any better, but I understand golf. Like, I understand the frustration of golf and I can see why people get addicted to it. Yeah. And what, why at that point, like, what was your draw to that? Like, why, and what fighting? Was there, when you started getting addicted to jiu-jitsu, when you were doing the eight-hour drive, was fighting in your mind already? Like, were you thinking, I'm doing this because I'm going to fight? Like, because that's what I did. Fighting was I in started... my mind before I even started thinking about jiu-jitsu. Okay. I got into jiu-jitsu because I saw the first UFC. I wanted to be a fighter. I wanted to do MMA. Okay. Fighting, like, jiu-jitsu was part of that path. Mm-hmm. It turns out I like jiu-jitsu way more than I like fighting. I don't like her. Yeah. Like, yeah. I like doing jiu-jitsu. You know, I, even now, like, I've got nothing to prove. I don't really even 
like I don't always try my hardest anymore if I'm rolling. I'm not now. I roll as a, as an instructor, but like I like doing martial arts. Mm-hmm. Like it's fun, and the sparring aspect is the most fun part of of martial arts. Like I can't tell. I don't know many people who are like no, no. I really love doing katas. <laughs> Pretty much every lifelong martial artist I know. Like some form of sparring, even if it's light touch sparring. Dude, I, I've been trying to have this conversation with my wife for a while. Yeah. And she just doesn't get it. She's like, oh, you just want to spar? I'm like, that's what it's all about. That's the like, best part of martial arts. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like, what's the point? Like, you, you've known me for a while now. Like, I don't, I'm not one of those let's flow roll guys. Yeah. Like, I just oh, roll he, roll. He always demolishes me. It's so sad. Yeah. No, uh, it's not, it's, it's not one of those things. Like, that's just like I've always been the smallest guy on the mat like with my training group and the people who are my skill level so I've always fought for my life and I'm fine with that and I like and when, I'm one of those guys who like when people are like hey let's let's go light if I don't know them well I assume that means we're gonna fight for our <laughs> lives yeah. like people I know well yeah. like if you're like hey man I got this that and I'm yeah. like alright cool let's just play it nice but I've gotten suckered in tournaments <laughs> I got suckered in a, in a tournament. A dude I knew, but I had never competed with, was like, oh, you know, like I actually entered in, into his division, like I did an extra division with him because he didn't have anybody to compete with. He soft-shooed me. Now I'm like all calm and relaxed. We go to compete. He pulls guard and does a effing punch choke, pulls wow. down on one collar, punches right into my esophagus. Wow. And then goes, yeah, I always get people with that in training. I'm like, you mother. I was so uptight with my, like, I don't mind losing. I'm not one of those guys. Like, I'm not, like, I'm not an asshole competitor. I like to compete. I was mad at myself for getting soft sold. You can't, can't trick me into being gentle with you. And that's exactly what that dude did. That's a good lesson. Oh, man. I was so, like, even now thinking about, this is. It's got to be like 11 years ago. I've been a black belt 13 years, I want to say. Yeah, 13 years now. And I think it was my first year as a black belt. So it's probably a dozen years ago. And right now, I'm like, I, I've got like an embarrassed feeling right now. Because I'm like, this dude really, really got me. Like, oh, you know, like, and then, and then my knee. So now, ever since that guy... I've just assumed if you ask me to go light, you're going to try and kill me. And as I've gotten better at jiu-jitsu, I'm fine with people trying to kill me. Like, I can play a defensive game if I choose. Uh, but I'm not shocked anymore. That guy ruined that. That, <laughs> that guy ruined that surprise for everybody. Yeah. No, I, think, I think that's a good lesson for everyone. Yeah. I'm, like, so, like I said, I'm not like a, a flow rolly type guy. Like I'm a roll rolly guy. Like, my, my training partner, like we were, we were just really competitive when I was coming up to the ranks. Like, like bloody mouths were the norm every day. Like, yeah, you know, do. I've broken, I've got, I've had my nose broken and the rear naked a couple times, um, and and that's all in practice. Like, it's just we're dicks to each other. <laughs> you know, like these are my best yeah. friends, people. I'll, I'll go to, I'll go to to battle for, but man, he's a fucking, he's an asshole. Excuse my French. Uh, oh, that's quite all right. So we're going to change focus uh, before I forget. Uh, another reason or another another way we've connected 
is that Matt is going to be a co-author on Try Not to Die. Um, and your story is going to be awesome. I was thinking about it today. So. Dude, I hadn't thought about it in a while. But I was like, you know what? It's going to be cool. I was telling my wife and, and son today about it at dinner. I'm like, oh, this is, he goes to, it's, it's Venice, right? Or somewhere yeah. around there. Venice and, and Oscars, uh, yeah. you, you tell them the story. Uh, I know you haven't thought about it in a while. But just tell just just roughly go over what it is. So it's roughly a, an adventure story. Like uh, I, you know, for for a jockey type kid, I've grown up. I love to read. I, you know, I went through a period when I was working at a at a call like call center when I worked overnights at nine one one. We weren't getting a lot of calls. I read on average like two books a week for eight years. Like I love to read. So I've always imagined being being able to write and when Mark was talking to me about the program the, the program trying not to die, like it's a choose your own adventure series for adults, young adults and adults. And you know, teens or, or even teens and young adults and adults. And like Phenomenal. I loved reading those books when I was a kid. I would read those books over and over again until I read pretty much every you know permutation, combination you could have. And when he's talking to me, I'm like, I know what to write. And it's just about young kid. Like, he's going to have a similar background as me. Like, my mom's from Italy. My dad was in the military in Italy during the 60s. Met my mom. They got married. They had me and my, my sister and I. And, you know, move forward from there. I've gone to Italy my whole life. Like, not every summer, but I spent a lot of summers out there as a kid. Like, and I'd go from Providence, where I'm from, a city of just under 200,000 people. But, like, has about half a million people in in and out of it every day. To a town in Italy where, when I was growing up, there was maybe 700 people in my town. Like... I was a celebrity. I was the town's American. Like my, like my friends that I grew up with, their parents and grandparents talk about me and my dad. My dad's a, a Cape Verdean dude. He's an African American guy. Um, so he's an African American guy who speaks fluent Italian. Um, spoke Venetian dialect. They still does, obviously. He's, my dad's still with us. Uh, spoke Venetian dialect and made friends in like. Like immersed himself in the culture. He loves Italian. He loves Italy. He and I both. That's that's something we we're, we're both very similar. Like I love Italy. Like I love going to Italy. I love the culture and the countryside and looking, you know, looking north and seeing the mountains from the bridge. Um, I love Italy. And when he when he mentioned the the Try Not to Die series, I'm like, what about writing it almost like a travelogue? Uh, you know, you can you can make it an action adventure book, but you can talk about places that people might not get to see. You know, like like I grew up uh, a big Hemingway fan, and then there was a dude Eric von Lustbader. He wrote like not Hemingway quality uh, literature, but he wrote like action adventure books, and he would write about uh, the Far East or like just any other you know number number of writers from the the Hemingway level on down, but like they'd write about all these exotic places and and like these books where, you know, computer hackers are taking over the world or someone's getting blown up or anything like that. Well also acted as as travel See, 
And that's why that's the first thought I had when 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 we started talking about these books, like we could write a like I know Italy really well. I know that's northern, awesome. I know northeastern Italy really well. I've you know I've drank in their bars. I've seen concerts. I've had girlfriends. I've had heartbreak. I've had everything. I've had dogs. That's, awesome. that's cool. Um, and I figure I could write about this area that people might never see. Or it might spark interest and people will see it because like, holy cow, I've heard of this place, Kaole, and I want to see what they do there. And I want to see what the the seawalls look like and the, and the sculptures look like and the, and the cathedrals and the chapels and everything like that. I want to see what that looks like before I die because it sounds really cool. So it's two things, like the, the love of reading, the love of traveling. So That's awesome. Now... Let's go into the third part of it. Um, just the overall feel of it, because every Try Not to Die is, has its own kind of feel. Like uh, Try Not to Die at Death Fest is gonna be, you know, they're at a heavy metal concert, so yeah. it's gonna have that kind of feel. Uh, there's other ones that are gonna be more monsters or aliens, but yours more, uh, how, how would you describe it? Like, not Man. born identity, but like spy, Same, like yeah. high intensity, like it, uh, exciting. Yeah, so I read my first Tom Clancy book. I want to say it was Hunt for Red October. And it was way above my reading level, but I think my sister was reading it when she was in high school. So I read it in seventh grade. And I was in love. Like, I, you know, as a kid, I read the Robin Hoods, the, the King Arthur. I, I loved the adventure. Oh, yeah. But reading Tom Clancy, I'm like, even though my eyes crossed at times when he starts talking about like the sonar operating system on a, on a Russian submarine, you know, yeah, I yeah. still love the overall feel of the book. That's and cool. that was it. I was so like, I will read any, like I, I, I call it a uh, trashy male romance novel books. <laughs> it's like, you know, like the, the, the Fabio covers that you used to see in the, in the eighties and nineties on, on these on these romance novels but I liked it on the other side of things where shit's getting blown up and yeah. someone's throwing a grenade and someone oh he thought he died but he didn't like just real obvious plot lines mm. I still liked it it's you know I think they're in reading and, and a lot of people and, and like even any type of media I think there are people who like movies and there are people who like TV I think there are people who like books and there are people who like magazines. I'm a book and a movie guy. Mm, you know? Yeah. And like the midpoint yeah. is things like Game of Thrones where it's a longer yeah. series. Like I think Netflix does it real well maybe where they do like six season episodes, six episode seasons but they're like an hour long, an hour and change. Like I like that time to digest and to get comfortable and to understand things. So I've always liked that, and that's that's the th same thing with me and books. Like I love books, and you know when when you when you brought this up, I'm like, man, I, I've always wanted to write. I've never thought I could, mm -hmm. and like the big the the biggest thing about this is like the, you're you're offering to help me and educate me mm -hmm. is like what I'm like. All right, I can learn how to do anything. I yeah. just you know having the pro the appropriate help. I've never thought of myself as a, as a writer. I've just always thought, like, I could think of a good story to tell, maybe. Yeah. Dude, I, I think everyone could tell a story. So it's just an added bonus that you're very intelligent. 
uh, that you are a black belt with all these years of martial arts, like so it's like you'll get shit done. Because uh, those are two of the big things. Uh, you'll try new things. Um, you know, you go after all these different tasks, acquire skills. This is one more skill. Um, one thing I do with co-authors is warn them. Dude, I just put out a video on my uh, private Facebook group showing the group and the co-author what I did to his first five pages. Well, our first five pages Ugh. of death scenes. And dude, it's fucking brutal. It was, it's going to make me sad. Well, no, <laughs> so that's why I want to have this talk now. Because um, it's not that it's bad. Dude, your writing is really yeah. good. But, dude, if I show you the pages, you'd be like, holy shit. And these are pages that I've already done. Yeah. You would see the same thing on my seventh draft of my own novel. So, like, that's how that's how brutal writing should be. Yeah. Like, writing should be. And you could think about it like this. Like, how many times do you have to do a drill in martial arts to get really fucking good at it? Yeah. How many times do you have to go over these lines? How many times do you have to go over it together? How many times do you have to go over, like, here's my version. All right, what do you think? You know, and going back and forth. And with the understanding, like, dude, there's no right answer. Like, we'll just keep, we'll, we'll, we'll get it, we'll get it perfect. And that's what's awesome. Like, that's why I know it's going to be really good. And yeah. whoever I'm working with, that's why I tell them, like, dude, we're going to make a fucking awesome story because, man, we're just going to do it together. You're a writing jock. Awesome. Yeah, like, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm a nerd about it. Well, and I, um, Dude, I think it's a combination. It's a collaboration. I could never write this story. I would never write the story. Like, I would never go to... I don't know the first fucking thing about Italy. Yeah. I don't know the first thing about writing, uh, like, a spy novel. I don't... Or not spy, but, you know... Yeah, yeah. That kind of feel. Um, and I wouldn't have... Yeah, so... It's awesome. So I was like, okay, I can suck this story out of you. I can take my little turn on it. You take it back, and you make it even better. And then I do it again, and then we give it to an editor, and then it's even better. So, uh, yeah, no, I think it's an awesome process. But the first version, the first time you see it, you're it's going to hurt. I'm, I've already yeah. braced myself. For, <laughs> okay. Well, it's, it's, it's this, like, there's no amateur level for writing. Mm. It's not like, there's no, like, semi-pro novelist. Yeah. <laughs> it's either you have to be on point, And I, well, no, that's not true. There are, like, shit, I'm trying to remember the name of that. There's a book company that, like, they just they will they will publish anything, and I've read a lot of those books, so I'm not like yeah. taking them. Um, so those are probably like the amateur level, but like that's like the the pump and dump, like just get the writing done, get it on paper. Yeah. Someone's gonna buy it eventually. I think that's the case. That that's probably the case for amateur, but like there's people that that's their market, so whatever they just have to think of a, a slight well, storyline. Think of it like this: it's not even not even experience, not even anything. It's this thing about efficiency, because um, one of my biggest things was, dude, I would spend so much time wanting to get anything perfect, and before I sent to anyone else, like, dude, I'm not gonna send them garbage. It's gonna look good. Yeah. I don't want to have errors. I don't want to fucking have. I don't want but, an editor to have to edit. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but then we would get through the entire book, and then we realized, oh fuck, first chapter is getting cut. You know how much time I just spent on that first chapter? That first chapter doesn't even belong. The real story didn't start till right here. You know? And that that kind of stuff makes you like, oh I have shit. no idea so, any of this stuff that happens. Yeah, yeah. So so that's why I'm like, no, man, I mean, just fucking shoot me, shoot me rough ideas, shoot me whatever you have. And then I'm like, oh, you know what? How about this? Blah blah blah. And then or let's start it here. And then we don't worry and like like dude, I expect 
incomplete sentences. I expect ideas, whatever else, however you work, but never aiming for perfection and just knowing it's going to be destroyed. Like, uh. I'm going to destroy mine. And dude, when I give you mine, I want you to destroy mine. Like, that's like, it'd be like us sparring almost. Fucking, it's not. Yeah, it's I not, see. Really. It's not even trying to be like, um, I want to capture your story as best as possible in my format. Uh, and I, I don't know. I don't even say my format. I just want to capture yeah. your story as best as possible. Fucking, and uh, have fun with it. Yeah. Uh, and that's what we'll do. So it's almost like a little bit of sparring, but it's not trying to say. It's yeah. not like sparring as in fucking, I'm better than you and my word works. Uh, it's like, no, just do this together. That's fucking. Have fun with it. Create the best story fucking possible, and uh, people are gonna dig it. Yeah, yeah, I hear right. that. Like, if if you call it Jerome, I'm definitely gonna strangle you. Though, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I definitely um, want to get back into it. Like, like I like I said, I've, I I got bogged down over COVID. Oh, dude, that's fucking. Um, that's a crazy year. COVID's yeah, COVID's moving in. It's like I went from being a martial arts instructor who made a little extra money on the weekends bartending to. I'm a stay-at-home dad for the next three months, and my son's got no school, and they don't know what's gonna happen with school. My wife, bless her, bless her, she's a nurse. She didn't have any downtime during all this COVID. Um, I ate and drank like it was my job. I I put on thirty pounds in like two months, easy. Mm. I blacked out. Like, I, I had to quit drinking. Not quit drinking. I had to stop drinking a few times. Like, you just, uh, just not having anything to do. I'm like, oh, yeah. It 100% makes sense for me to drink a vodka and pink lemonade Kool-Aid at 4 o'clock in the afternoon, which I would never drink that. Like, vodkas, people drink vodka to get drunk. Like, mm. not everybody, obviously. I'm not trying to cast aspersions at anybody. But, like, people like me drink vodka to get drunk, so... I'm like, holy cow, I need to stop drinking. Like, just to get myself in check. Like, I literally just cooked and ate and drank and ate. And my wife had a sweet, it was either Mother's Day or her birthday, where I cooked a steak that was like an inch and a half to two inches thick. And I made her lobster tail, uh, scampi, lobster tail, like, scampi. It was... I made a really good meal. I like to cook, and like my wife was just working her face off, and I was trying to be thankful and be nice to her. Mm-hmm. Like that was a really good steak. <laughs> like it, it was easily, it was probably were, about this big. So were you going through depression? Like, what were you? Why do you think you were eating? I mean, I know, dude. I don't. No, it was dude, just it was time just, killing. Like, yeah, not getting gas for a month and a half. Mm-hmm. That's that's pretty crazy, you know. Yeah. Like, I sold some mats off. I did some videotaping at my gym, um, but like that's like once a week. I would drive seven miles away. Wow. If that, you know, maybe I would maybe drive fifteen miles total per week. Mm-hmm. Like that's you're not gonna spend a lot of, a lot of money in gas doing that. Uh, but yeah, I just. Didn't have anything to do. Me and my son were just going crazy. My son got a mohawk. Uh, we did, you know, we did stick fighting. I built a garden. I built a tree house. Uh, he and I would do cooking videos. I learned how to make bread. Not that hard. Man, but, but you the bread it, wasn't that good you, either. You were telling me this earlier, dude, and I was feeling so guilty. I'm like, 
fuck. I was so proud. You know what I was proud of? What? I was proud of me taking a five-minute break. Because uh, at 9.15, my son would fucking have his five-minute brain break. And he would run downstairs, pull me from my desk where I'm working. And he wouldn't have a five-minute sword fight. And there were days that I didn't even want to fucking really do that. And oh, then, man. dude, I was like, and I realized, I'm like, I'm a fucking asshole. I was like, why wouldn't I want to spend that five minutes with my son instead of working right now? Yeah. Fucking, but, and then, so you tell me that. Like, I did, I, I've done stuff with my son, but not like that. So I think that's super cool. So I, I think it's like this, right? We, we become replicants of our parents or we become the exact opposite. And usually it's, we replicate their best parts and we become opposites of the negative parts. I hope that's 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 the hope, and that's what yeah. every parent has for their kids, right? Like, right. I hope that my son has my wife's organizational skills <laughs> and things like that, and like, I hope he has right. my sports, my skill acquisition. Like, right. I'm good at getting good at things. Like, and I, I try and teach him those aspects of me more than anything else, and I try and I try and shelter him from. The procrastination, you know, like, mm-hmm. like I'm a smart dude, like smartish guy, but I'm a procrastinator, and if I do well on something early and I don't get challenged, then I, I stop caring about it. So like, there's things that, like that aren't great. Like it's it's okay to be smart, but it, mm-hmm. it's better to have like that stick to itiveness and the the desire to acquire new skills. So like, it works out that I wasn't a great athlete. And I decide that I want to be good at sports rather than I, I'm naturally a, a smartish kid, and I want nothing to do with being a nerd. You no, know, like, yeah, dude, I did. Like, I was embarrassed of it. Yeah, when you told me about your uh, your yeah. friend having thirty years of, of dungeon mastering, <laughs> I really wanted to give that dude a wedgie, like right from here, like step on his feet and like just yank. Sorry, no, I'm just, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Uh, no, that, that. I went to nerd school my whole life. <laughs> Um, and I and like I'm a nerd. I'm just the yeah. I'm the jock nerd. I'm yeah, the, I'm the one who sticks up for all the other nerds. Dude, that's how I was. Um, hundred percent. But like, yeah, like I hope you, you've got to hope that, and like you got to do your best. And like you know, my my old man, my old man's a driven dude, and he had to work a lot. And I remember my dad when he had his car broken down. He walked four miles once to watch me play baseball. Wow. A sport I suck at, and I was probably going to sit the bench anyway. Like, my old man's a good dude. My thing, like, I'm I'm not as into money. And it's not that my dad was money only. Mm -hmm. My dad's driven, like, his working career is also his, like, his... uh, not philanthropy his desire to give back like mm-hmm. he worked department of education like everything he did was in public service so it's like my difference yeah my dad's a, a difference maker exactly mm-hmm. um but like that led to him like always like everything he's just just trying to get there like oh i gotta end this meeting sprint across town uh, watch my son sit the bench for six engine mm-hmm. or Sprint across town, watch my daughter cheerlead or lead a dance recital or anything like that. My sister was like better at things when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. But like my whole thing is like I never want to feel rushed. Yeah. I always want my son to never feel that like his time, my time with him was secondary. It, was, it definitely wasn't like that. Like right. I, I'm 100% positive my father will never see this. But I want everybody to know I never felt that way. Mm-hmm. But I always knew that my dad was just driven and like he's 
he's a, a paragon of, of the community mm-hmm. and like all those things were things that took away took his attention away from me but I understood that the community and people around me needed him as much as I needed him That's so I was cool. fine like yeah, me and my daughter tight as shit he made me go swimming with him on Father's Day at 7 in the morning and it was really cold and I didn't want to go at all <laughs> so That's awesome dude if he can't beat me in a fight and he can't really bully me or browbeat me but my dad needed me to go with him I was 100% there my dad my dad's the man he's the one who swore, swore me in the military like everything I am is, is due to him but like you know I, I've tried to adopt all the great things about him and all the great things about my mom and leave behind the negative aspects yeah. and hopefully like back to my back to my point hopefully that's what my kid does yeah. and hopefully you know the goal is to keep improving your bloodline and in, in some bloodlines it's hey we don't have to care about money because we're already rich mm-hmm. so let's be better people or let's be philanthropists and let's yeah. make the world a better place or let's make fucking monarch butterflies live longer yeah it the goal is hopefully I'm hoping that humanity's goal as a as a unit is to be a better better group of people at the end than at the beginning we, we should go from being biting each other's throats to to glowing beings of light yeah know. there we go no I think so I think, I think that's excellent I think a lot of people I think when we were or at least for me I had an, the impression that adults had it together like <laughs> that they didn't have problems that they didn't have issues like that's how it was that's how mom is that's how dad is that's how fucking police are that's how whatever you just had this idea um, I don't know so but with my kid dude well my children I've talked openly about like oh yeah like different vulnerabilities or different issues might have or like whatever things they might experience whether it's depression or anxiety like hey this is these are real things this is what so-and-so deals with this is what i deal with this is like these are just uh i don't even know where this is going but so let's cut all this shit no no i just no where you're going is good because it's like this right um and not to be like so i'm i'm left-leaning politically but like toxic masculinity that or just toxic behavior in, in itself is bury your feelings bury your yeah. emotions everything like that yeah now I'm I'm in that midpoint but like I think we our goal should be to evolve as as people and the and it it's okay like alright I don't think I've cried maybe twice since I was 11 oh wow like I'm a super savage like that yeah but like I try and be a sensitive person. You've been Titanic. I knew how it was gonna end, dude. Okay. <laughs> um, no, I try and be a sensitive person. Like I just know that there's part of me not not I wouldn't say broken. It's just numbed. Like I'm I'm I a savage. Like I'm a, I'm a super like that. Like I will. I'll go to the doctor finally. And they're like, "Hey, you got stage four heart attack. You're de- you're actually be- you've been dead for a week and a half, and you've just been ignoring it. And that's like we talked about today. I like I had it. You asked me about injuries. I'm like, oh yeah, I got it. right now. I've got a problem with my elbow. And they're like, oh wait, I don't like I I injured my elbow maybe last August, 
and it had been bothering me and bothering me and then I just stopped paying attention to it and now I've noticed it's gone um like I'm that kind of person but that's not the greatest way to be I don't think so like being in touch with your emotion being in touch with your body like that's that's being a better person like I try to be but like that's just not who I am you know like I do I have a lot of I have a lot of that I often feel like I'm kind of broken like it's like yeah I'm sensitive and I'll share my feelings and I'll share my vulnerabilities but I also feel like I can deal with whatever I gotta deal with and I'll be okay and like I'll get through it um so I don't know is that kind of that feeling that you're describing um as far as like no I just don't have feelings like that (laughs) like um, I like I don't know like a lot of my friends that I grew up with were all like even kill people like I don't get happy I don't get sad like how about much with like your that. son how about even just like uh, I don't know is uh, what's the, what's the best feeling that you have with your son do you ever dude my son's a shit man my, my son's a little fuck me and him like first of all he's got the Joker from me his very first joke he was three years old he made up a joke. And I tell people this, and I get laughs out of people. If you don't laugh, I won't take it personally, so whatever. But we're like, we're chilling out, we're getting ready to leave, and he calls my mom Nona, it's Italian for grandma. And he goes, why don't I drive to Nona's house? I go, what do you mean you're gonna drive? He goes, driving us nuts. (laughs) You see what I mean? Like he moved his neck like a sassy older black lady with big fat arms. like. This is my son. My son's a hilarious dude. My son cracks me. My son will, like, we go at it. Like, he's with me a lot. Like, he's, all right, for those of you who are worried, he's a super sweet, kind kid. I watch him play because he's got some of his closest friends in our neighborhood are little girls. Like, not only, like, girls, but they're younger and smaller than him. And he always, like, makes sure that they're, like, included in play and that people aren't too rough. Like, these are things I look for. I I look to make sure he's got that. Like, being kind is really important to me. Yeah. And, but he and I, we fight. We get into fights. Like, we we slap each other. We throw kicks. We throw punches. He's he's a martial artist. He's a professional martial artist's son. (laughs) So we play around. But sometimes... Like maybe I give him a leg kick or sometimes he punches me in my hip and he hurts his hand. But he has mastered the fake cry Uh, to get me to come in and see what's wrong with my son. This is my son. This is my my heart, this is my joy. I will move in to see what's wrong with him and he's fake crying and will slap me right in my (laughs) ear and make my ear ring for hours. Like he is my son. We like, he's very smart and sweet and a good-looking kid. He's that. Those are the parts that he gets from his mom. But like the deviousness, the jokiness, and the athleticism. Like he, he likes getting good at things. Like I like getting good at things. And you know, like awesome. yeah, we 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 definitely vibe like that. That's my man. He just shaved his head. All right. Oh, so he had a mo- no. Wait, even better. He had a mohawk all through school. More from like February on. I shave like his head's hot. His head's hot. He's in camp. He's like, I want to shave my head. I'm like, all right, cool. I'm like, I'm gonna shave your head. Your mom's not gonna like it, but whatever, man. It's just me and you all the time. 
So I shave his head, and he's like, can I buzz it down shorter in the middle? I go, why? He goes, so me and you can look like, I go, <laughs> I'm like, looking at your grandparents and looking at your dad, eventually you're going to look like me. Don't stress, man. Like, you're going to be fine. <laughs> like, but he really thought, he's like, I'll shave, shave, like, the middle part. I'm like, no, nah, we're not doing that, man. Like, and you should have let him. Well, here's the thing. It's a good lesson, right? Like, this is, I don't know how you deal with this with your kids. Like, I don't know if your kids are, like, gigantic kids like you are. Um, but, like, kids started calling my son Baldy at camp. And I'm like, well, are they being mean? Are they trying to be funny? He goes, I don't know. I go, well, this is a good way to learn. I go, because sometimes people will, especially, you know, you live in California, you're from California, you went went to school out here. I'm sure you've met a couple of Rhode Islanders. Mm -hmm. The highest compliment any Rhode Islander can give another Rhode Islander is to make a joke about their mom. (laughs) That means I feel comfortable enough with you as a brother that you know I'm just making a joke. The downside of that is the easiest way to start a fight with a Rhode Islander is to make a joke about their mom. So you're tiptoeing. You're going to find out one way or the other where your friendship lies. That being said, I don't want my kid to just fly off the handle and get defensive and or, and or let somebody hurt his feelings. But I also wanted to learn that sometimes people are just joking. They're not being yeah. mean. And also, like, when you find out some, like, so I just said, you know, when people call you bald, they say, hey, are you trying to hurt my feelings? And what it'll do is it'll teach you this. Some people are just trying to joke around and make a joke and make you laugh. Some people are trying to hurt your feelings. If they feel comfortable saying they're trying to hurt your feelings, then you don't have to be around them. Mm-hmm. If they push their luck, then that's something else we talk about later on in life. But, like... I, I don't want my kid to be a fighter. I don't want my kid to get into fights. I don't want my kid to go through life happy and not affected by other people's behavior, though. Mm-hmm. So, sometimes he's gonna ha- eventually he's gonna have to clap somebody in the head. Yeah. That that person is gonna be in for a rough road to hoe. You know, like my son's been play fighting with a professional fighter his whole life. Like, and it's literally like like. Have you seen Night at the Museum? Yeah. It's me and my son are Ben Stiller and that little monkey slapping (laughs) each other, poking each other in the eyes. Like, we get... My son broke my nose when he was two and a half, three years old. Oh, wow. We were playing around and he jumped and kneed me in my face. Broke my nose. Wow. I had to call my wife. My wife was in Connecticut. We were going to a wedding the next day. She was in the, the bridesmaid party. I call my wife. I'm like, he just broke my nose. I get there the next day. I've got a black eye. All here is blood because my son broke my nose. Like, that's awesome. That's my man. Like, he and I are, is like, that's my dude. Like, he's not my best friend because I'll never talk to him about certain things. Mm-hmm. You know, like, I'll always try and teach him the best way to be. But, that's my man. Like, there's nobody who's ever going to, like, I... My dad always has, has had my back my whole life. Like, no matter what, my dad's always had my back. I've never, ever felt that as long as I tell my father the truth, he would ever, like, not back me. 
That's cool. Even if I'm guilty of something, here try and find the best resolution. Mm. My son knows I always have his back. Like I'm, I'm an old school like northeastern type guy. I was talking about this with a friend of mine, um, and we were just talking about like reminiscing. So my training partner has broken my ribs four times. He's a Division One AA running back. I, Either Colby or Colgate, I forget which one it is. Dude's a stud. We were out, and somebody said something about, "Oh, I hope nobody messes around with us." I go, "Yeah, I hope, I hope so too." They're like, "Why?" I go, "Cause I will stomp the shit out of them." And they're like, "What?" I go, "If I look over and I see Damon, my training partner, in a fight ever in my life." Whoever he's fighting is not going to be fighting two black belts. And that's that. And they're like, you would jump somebody? I go, fuck yeah. I go, it's an assault. It's an assault. Like, that's somebody jumping my, fighting my friend. It's not a sporting event. It's not them agreeing to meet up at a certain weight class in a padded area. That's a street fight on concrete where he can bang his head and die. I am a loyal guy like that. I have my people's back, and that's that. I'm also a believer in you do the right thing. I'm, I, so you know my degrees in philosophy. It's drive my Hellenistic philosophy professor insane when I would talk about this. Virtue should hurt. Doing the right thing should always hurt, or it's not the right thing. The tough choice. Taking pleasure from making the yeah, tough choice yeah. is a redeeming quality. Mm-hmm. You shouldn't take pleasure from it. You should hate it. I hate so much how my father has brought me up. I would much rather be a scumbag. Scumbags have life way easier than me. But I've got to do the right thing. Like, I'm not so far to that side of the right thing that if I find a $50 bill on the ground, I'm going to track down the owner. Yeah. But I am on that side of the the right that if I find a wallet with $10,000 on it, I'm going to track down the owner with their $10,000 in it. And it drives me insane. And I wish my father didn't bring me up that way. (laughs) Not just my father. My father and mother. I don't ever want people to think I'm taking credit for my mom. Uh, I wish they didn't bring me up that way. But that's who we are. Like, virtue has to hurt. Doing the right thing should make you annoyed because the right thing shouldn't always be great. It shouldn't always, It shouldn't make you feel good. Mm-hmm. You should be like, hey, I'm doing the right thing. And that's because that's that's what the right thing is. And that's my that's always been my view on on anything in life. Like, Well, know. but how about this? How about what's the right thing between working or doing something personal or playing with your son playing with your son probably it's balancing it well let's just pretend for now that's playing with your son <laughs> let's say that's the right yeah. thing let's say that that time's the right thing um, how do you feel doing it like that's good for you though like that's fucking that's awesome dude like when you when you can embrace it right like yeah. when, whenever I take the time to embrace it with my son like I'm like oh shit this is what I should be doing I'm like yeah, like, why am I not doing this more? Well, here's the toxic, ma- toxic masculinity move. Mm-hmm. Do everything you're supposed to do and just don't sleep as much. Yeah, uh, that's, I, that's a good I've, point. I've been a lifelong not sleeper. Mm-hmm. I don't sleep a lot. Like, um, six hours a night is, is sweet. Wow. 
Six hours a night is an awesome amount of sleep. How do you feel when you sleep that little? Like, well, what do you mean that little? Well, dude, that's that, a lot. That, that, that's, that, that's not good for you. That's in, that's that's one of the chapters in the book. I'll have you read it. Oh um, yeah, no, I know so, it's not good for me. I, listen, I know there's a lot. Like, I don't think I've how, seen a doctor in person in, in a few years. But how do you? Uh, if you if you do sleep in, if you get eight hours, do you feel different? Do you feel any better, or do you just I just function? wake up? You just function on no, six no. hours. You're used to it. Yeah, yeah, I wake up. I sleep. I will wake up anywhere between five and six thirty on the norm, mm. and it's not unheard of for me sleeping only falling asleep early and waking up at one, and then just being awake for the rest of the day until the next night when I go to sleep. Yeah. Um, but like I was doing this when I was in high school right the night two nights before a football game I would usually get hit with a bout of insomnia and not sleep at all wow so like the Thursday night before a Saturday game nerves who knows I played football my whole life I loved football it was so much fun like I liked hitting people I liked hitting people and helping you back up so I could hit you in a couple more plays Um, you know like military I didn't sleep a lot like I just never I just don't I worked at 901 like when I opened my gym I was still working at 901 I did on average 70 80 to 80 hour weeks for 18 to 20 months wow like I I would count on getting four hours of sleep a day on the train up to City Tong in Boston like I would I would take the commuter rail up and commuter rail back and I would get like Anywhere between 45 minutes to an hour of sleep each way. And that was like my weekly sleep total, I counted. Wow. Um, I've just never been like, I've never been a huge sleeper, and my ability to go without sleep is, is without question mm-hmm. for the most part. You know, like, I just dealt with it. You know, it's, I know it's not good for me. Like, yeah. like I said, I'm toxically masculine. Like, I don't, I don't go to doctors. <laughs> yeah. Dude, I, uh, I was definitely like that, dude. I worked same thing. I worked graveyard so I could train. Yeah. Fucking, I worked till six in the morning. And fucking drove to Vegas, slept for a little bit, and trained. Uh, it was always about that. It was, and then when I wasn't training, it was partying. I, dude, I yeah. did not fucking sleep. I never wanted to sleep. I was always gonna fucking work, 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 work as late as I can, have energy drinks late. Fucking now, like it wasn't until I read this one book where it's like, okay, I need to start sleeping a little bit more. And uh, but it, dude, it's been hard to try to do it because it seems like a waste of time too I don't want to waste those other hours like I want to get up and I want to get shit done I want want to be productive I want to fucking I don't know Uh, so it's a really (laughs) the extra sleep is a hard sell and I'm not going to try to sell anyone on it No, I I have a hard time with it myself I've only slept late like really late once in the past probably 10 years Um, I took a CBD that was like ratio to THC the pill Mm. something about the pill made the CBD more effective and I slept for like nine and a half hours and I woke up like utterly confused like where the fuck (laughs) am I like almost a mad like like, who drugged me like I woke up great but like other than that you know like I um even like regular night's sleep like I'll get a great night's sleep I, I take like you know, I'm a cheap, I'm a cheap prick. Uh, the, what's it, ZMA? Mm-hmm. Is that the sleep, calcium, magnesium, 
zinc oh, with the B12. I, I do that, those, those four. Okay. And it's not even that it helps me sleep, it, it gives you much more vivid dreams. Oh, that's cool. And I love that. But like, other than that, like, I'm not a sleepy head. I'm a great napper. Like I'll, I'll I'll kill a power nap. I'll do a I'll do a five minute nap, and come out way better than most people after a full night's sleep. But I'm not like a like sleeping six hours is crazy, man. Like I don't know how you like my wife. My wife goes to bed at like nine thirty between nine and ten, and she's up at you know between five and five thirty mostly okay. mostly six o'clock. She wakes up. That's she schedules her. Her schedule, she has to be awake by six. Okay. So she mostly wakes up at six. But well, that's good. Good for her. Yeah, she'll go to sleep at nine, sleep nine that's hours. Perfect. Like, what the fuck? I'm like, that's what she should do. That's yeah. what we should all do. Nine should, hours? We, we should learn from your wife. Yeah, we really should. Dude, NFL players, NBA players, they all get bonuses if they sleep over eight hours. Lots of teams have that in effect because they're going to have less injuries, they're going to perform better, like, you're going to have t- higher test scores. You should make your kids get all that sleep. All right, that's the end of the PSA. No, he sleeps a lot. Okay, that's good. He sleeps her schedule. He sleeps on her schedule. Yeah. And sometimes I can I can stretch him into my schedule. That's cool. Um, like stretch because there's overlap sleep times. Not like I, I can bring him down to six. I, I would never do that to my son. <laughs> you're like, no, you're gonna wake up and you're gonna no, but I, and you're like, gonna acquire some goddamn fucking skills. No, he he he'll sleep her schedule. Like, no. Well, oh, okay. I'm like, no, I'm like this. This play to like, I think this is this is what I meant, meant to say. Um, I think a lot of us, and I get in this debate a lot, and I dare people to ever challenge me because well, I'll break I'm them. Going through, I'm going through. Let's hear it. Well, the the first debate is I I think a lot of us remember as how hard shit was. They're thinking of it on our scale as adults now. And they're misremembering how old they were when it happened. So the debate is, I am pro-participation trophies. And I've shattered, I've made people want to fist fight me over this. I've never lost this debate. I've never lost this debate. So like, here's the thing. Participation trophies are this. It is, if you are Bo Jackson on the very worst team in sports... You're going to lose. If you're a five-year-old Bo Jackson and all you do is lose and there's zero reward for going to practice mm-hmm. and for going to these games and losing, yeah. then you don't play football the rest of your life. You don't become a two-sport athlete. You don't bring a bat over your head that is so iconic that 40 years later they still show that video or whatever it is. That's not Bo Jackson. You're just whatever your real name is. I don't know if his, his real name might be Bo. But that's just who you are. You're just some guy who is a dock worker or a laborer or a dentist or something. Mm-hmm. So when you start sports, it's to acquire skills. So from four and five to, let's say, 12, it's just to build skills. And those skills can get built rapidly, more rapidly the older you get. So when you start off, four and five years old, definitely you have to give somebody something. You have to you have to trust the process, not the results. That way, kids learn that training hard, showing up for something, doing all these things, even though you suck, 
and that's why they don't have scores, even though you suck, you get a reward for doing all that hard work, mm-hmm. right? So let's go from eight to 11. Now, if you've been in the sports program this whole time, you still might be Bo Jackson on a team full of fucking idiots like me. And he's like, oh, this guy fucking sucks. Oh, he always strikes out. Oh, this guy sucks. Oh, he sucks at pitching. All oh, this, that, and the other. When I'm up, I'm going to hit a home run. But we're still going to lose. Like, I played on a team that lost every game when I was 9 or 10 years old. Every single game. That's that's demoralizing. Yeah. But you get a reward. I'm going to keep showing up. Now, kids start quitting sports at 11, 12 years old. Think about how many kids played sports with you when you were little. Mm-hmm. And how many kids played sports with you in middle school and high school. Right. You're starting, you're, you still haven't hit your growth spurt. You're a good athlete, but you're a small Bo Jackson. And everybody else is way bigger than you. But they still give you that, hey, good job, man. Way to show up, you, you tried your hardest. Yeah, you got ran over by these eighth graders that are full grown men, and you're still 100 pounds in the eighth grade. Yeah. But hey, great job, man. Yeah. He's an accolade. Next thing you know, Eighth grade Bo turns into Bo motherfucking Jackson, and by ninth grade he got his his uncle got him some weights. Mm-hmm. His dad taught him how to do burpees and sprints. He might only be 120 pounds, but now this dude's moving. And then the next year he puts on another 40 pounds. Now he's 160 as a sophomore, and then he jumps up to 200 for his junior year. Now, all those little participation trophies have produced Bo Jackson. And it fucking breaks grown men that kids get the same thing that they do. Because here's the deal. You are the third best judoka in the world. You're a bronze medalist. That's a participation trophy. You're not fucking number one. Right? You show up for class. You compete. You enter tournaments. You do everything you can do. You come in third. The pants. You get your blue belt. Blue belt's a fucking participation trophy. You little bitch. You. They're just giving you yeah. that. You give. They're giving you an attaboy. Yeah. Right. I worked decently hard. I had a three six, three six and change average. I had a magna cum laude or whatever it was. I was the bronze medal of smart dudes. Mm-hmm. I got a participation trophy. You could be the worst player on the worst varsity team in the worst in the worst league in D League, and you get that letter jacket, and that you're still gonna get laid. You're still people are still gonna think you're awesome, but it's a fucking problem for an eight year old kid to be a fucking stud athlete already, and already bigger than everybody else on his team, and he's gonna go far in life. It's a problem to give him a fucking reward, like fucking stripes. I don't give stripes like. Tonight, I gave stripes. I uh, I told four of my students, one's a 13-year-old kid, one's a 17-year-old kid, the other two are adults. I'm like, hey, man, I don't give stripes. But if I did, you could tell people that I gave you at least one stripe. I don't know. Some of you guys might have more. Some of you guys might have less. But probably at least one. It, like, those are participation. Like, I'm like, I don't give a fuck. Like, here's the thing. My white belts can beat up people. And that's that. 
it doesn't matter what those people do. If those dudes are black belts or blue belts or no belts, my students can beat people up. And that's that. Like, I believe in participation trophies. With my son, I want him to appreciate and enjoy sports. I want him to enjoy the learning part. Mm. I help out, I coach everything. So, like, I keep that positive attitude with kids. But, like, everybody likes to think of, like, oh, when I was a kid, it was so hard. Like, that whole, uh, my dad walked uphill both ways to school, right? And a snowstorm and a blizzard and lightning was striking. There were dogs biting you. Everything was harder when I was a kid. For sure. Maybe it was, maybe it wasn't. It seemed hard because I was a little fucking kid. Yeah. So things might seem hard for my kid that aren't hard to me because I'm a fucking grown up. I'm a professional martial artist. Like, uh, yeah, I can I can easily do cartwheels, probably back handsprings. I definitely can do a back flip off this table. See it. I might, no. Oh. I'm, you didn't really finish. Okay. I might get hurt upon landing. Oh, okay. But like, these are all things I can I can do now because I acquired these skills as a, as a child. Hmm. Like, I gotta give my kid a chance to acquire those skills. Like, I, I don't know. I just think a lot of people forget how hard things were when they were kids and they think that things were way more hardcore when they were kids. Mm-hmm. You know, like, oh, when I was a kid, you know, we had to fight pit bulls to get right. into school. Like, all right, that pit bull is a 30 pound pit bull. It wasn't like the, the 80 pound pit bulls we have now. And, you know, like everything that, that people try and make, they try and magnify. Like, yeah, my life was hardish, you know, not really. Like, it wasn't, it wasn't life or death difficult. Like, it was... Oh, dude, yeah, I had a good life. I, I had to run behind my cousins and try and keep up with all of my older cousins. But, like, that was about it. It wasn't like, you know, I got jumped in, like, Pookie in a gang. Like, my life was pretty chill. Like, yeah. so, I don't try and add the, like, you know, I tell my, my kids, like, the fun stuff we did when we were kids. Like, I don't know, a lot, a lot of people feel that making their life difficult like making their life seem more difficult than they was than it was is the way to make these kids grow up tougher mm. kids will grow up tough like you get tough when you're an adult yeah like no life will make you tough i think well, well think about like think about how you played football in a division one school how tough are you in comparison now in comparison to then not very really no i think no, mentally, hundred percent. Like I, I thank you. That's yeah. yeah no, it I'm only matters a, about mentally. Dude, I'm in such a better place. Like, yeah. yeah, like for sure. You know, I, I I I tell people this a lot. Like when I was 18 years old, I tried out for the the special forces, the Green Berets. I was a physical stud. I could run with 60 pounds on my pack. I could do two miles in about 15 minutes. I was a stud. I wasn't mentally tough enough to to succeed, so I didn't make it. 10 years later when I was a pro fighter and I had a martial arts gym and I was doing all this other stuff, even less. My mental toughness at that point was way more. Mm-hmm. Shit. Two years later, my mental toughness was way more just from having completed that. Like, where you're most mentally tough is what matters. It's not how physically tough you are. Like, I know, yeah. I, I know if I get put in a situation, I'll walk myself to death. Like, I know that from when I was 18 years old, like I just wasn't enough. Mm. Like a lot, of, a lot of people think that they had that when they were kids, and 
you know, <laughs> no one's that tough on their kids. Like you don't make, you don't make little kids into hard asses. You make little kids into psychopaths. Hard asses get made like in the the sixteen to twenty two year year range. You know, like that's that's when you become yeah. a hard ass. Like, like that's when you get mentally like super mentally tough and like, <laughs> I'm that motherfucker. You don't. You, when you're eight, when you're four, you become a psycho. That's when you're. You have a kid who hurts people on purpose. Like the conversation I had with my son last night was. <laughs> oh no! It might have been today at dinner. Was what I wanted to do with him as a baby. Was to tattoo him to look Jesus like Christ. a machine. To uh, sharpen all his teeth so they're super sharp. <laughs> Put metallic nails. Um, but it was just fine. I would never do that. That's Obviously. a story idea. But those were the kinds of talks we had. <laughs> Dude, I appreciate you coming down. I appreciate you driving down here, taking me out for yeah, drinks. No that was fucking awesome. Uh, catching up like this. I'm excited about our book. Our yeah. book is going to be fucking awesome. Yeah, yeah, you're cracking on. No, no. That dude, it's not even that. It will happen at the right time. Like, there's so many that are in the works. Uh, dude, things yeah. just work out like that. Like, things, yeah. are, things are on the right course. Like, uh, I don't know. I'm excited. I hear you. I'm excited. So whenever it happens, it happens. Uh, I'm gonna destroy it. I'll give it to you. You destroy it. We we I'll have cry. fun with it like that. Maybe I'll cry too. I'll like that. I'll videotape you. This is my fifth time crying since I was 11. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I want to break you. I want to have some some scenes, some sensitive scenes nah. with uh, with the, with the dad with the dad crying over his. I watch crying. movies to find that shit. Well, here's the funny you, thing. You never cried during any movies. Are you ever, fucking ever, kidding ever. me, dude? Like, about, do you ever think about your son dying? This is terrible. But, dude, I I think about this. You ever said movie Ghost day. Dog? No, I don't think so. Maybe. With, with, um, oh, Forrest Whitaker. Forrest Whitaker, the guy with the eye, right? I remember his eye, but I don't he remember. He talks about the Book of Five Rings. He's like, a samurai should envision his life being destroyed every day. Yeah. I was doing that way before okay, that movie okay, existed. Okay. Like, that was. I like, I always. Like, if I go on a Ferris wheel on, a, on any type of ride, I try and find the linchpin, the one most important thing, and I wonder under how much stress that thing was and how half-assed the last inspection was and wonder if whether or not I'm going to go flying. I, I imagine yeah. that on a daily basis. I hate that I do this with my son. I feel like I'm jinxing it. And I'm like, I go, you know, that, that's why I always do things with him. Like, if he's going to do something risky, if yeah. one of us goes, we're both going. That's that loyalty, right? Like, we had that talk today, dude. On the, on the right if you get no fight, I'm in a fight. If my son is going yeah. is going down, I'm going down. I'm right there with him at all times. Yeah. Um, That's awesome. But yeah, like, I do. I, I fucking hate that I do. I, I, I used to, like, parachute. Like, when I was a paratrooper, like, I've jumped out over, like, 40 airplanes. Wow. And I used to fuck around. Me and my friend... Dude, Dennis Perry, fucking sweet dude. Dude's got what got me to jiu-jitsu. Brought me on my first jiu-jitsu lesson. Me and him used to, the cape wells are how the parachute attaches to your harness. We used to fuck around and yank, our, yank each other's cape wells off so you'd only have one attachment. Uh, a single attachment parachute is not a parachute. It's a, a slowed down ticket to the ground. So we'd undo our cape wells. You're not supposed to do that. Nor are you supposed to put it back in yourself and then jump out of an airplane. Wow. We used to do that, like, fucking around. Like, when I say I was a maniac when I was young, I'm never, ever kidding. Like, I was I was not an okay person. I was a maniac. Like, we, I, me and my friends just didn't behave. We didn't, we didn't act like we had any sense, as my, uh, as, as my grandmother would say. 
So what's going to stop your son from doing that? Because that's my always been my biggest concern. I do not want my son doing the same shit that I did. Measured risks is how I do it with my son. Like, you want to jump off of that? All right, here's what we do. You want to jump off of that? You got to get down. You got to go in. You got to figure out where you're going to land and figure out how deep it is. Or if it's stable ground, if you're landing on ground. Like, I, I try and yeah. teach him how to, like, yeah. calculate the risks. Because if he's, if he's my son... Like if he has a lot of me in him as a as a person, you want him. To he's gonna take a bunch of risks. Yeah, and you hey, you gotta take those risks, man. Yeah. Like you just gotta be smart about. It. Like he did a forty plus foot zip line. I think he was three and a half or four. My wife, my wife, my wife's beautiful. My wife's awesome. She's super smart. She's the greatest person in the world. Is a straight coward. Is a coward. <laughs> With anything like that, she, that's not true. My wife's gotten a million times better. She's She went off the zip line after he did. Uh, but we lied about his age to get him to go, like, so they would let him on it. That's cool. My son, my son's a wild man like that. Like, I was just, I was wild and reckless. There's a difference. Like, mm-hmm. reckless is like, hey, I, I don't care what happens to me. That's like, wild. I've always been that way. Yeah, yeah. My son's just wild. He'll try stuff, but I'm trying to be, teach him to be calculating. Like try, like, yeah, and a sense of danger, like a sense of realistic danger. Yeah, like, my son. Yeah, my son's had one bad fall and had a bad black eye. We were worried about maybe a, a, a fractured orbital or something like that. Mm-hmm. Other than that, nothing. When I was when I was, he's pushing eight, he's gonna be eight in the in the fall. When I was four, I had stitches in my head four different times, three different wow. times. I probably had at least one concussion. Like, when I was five, I think I had to go to the hospital five times for splitting my bottom lip and needing stitches. Like, they, the family story, everybody laughs about it, and I'm pretty sure it's a joke. No, I'm just kidding, Mom. Uh, they would bring me aside. Like, the real story is they would bring me aside to and see if anybody, if anybody was hurting me. And, like, the funny thing is, like, like my mom's a sweetheart. My, my dad's an awesome guy. Like, there was zero, like, no, my middle school years, my mom, I would drive my mom nuts, but my my mom never was an abusive person. Yeah. Like, even when I deserved a dirty beating for being an idiot kid in school, like, they never beat me. They Like, I would get slapped upside the head, but, like, my parents would never, like, never nearly give me what I deserved. <laughs> you know, like, I deserved way more beatings. But, like, yeah, they, because I was so clumsy, they like in the hospital they thought like hey this is the fifth time we've seen this kid since july and it's august uh what the fuck important important talk this will be our last yeah. last point the beatings you deserve because that's something that i've thought about a lot and that's how i think about it beatings i deserve like i got my ass beat because i was doing super shit like yeah. i deserved it uh, does your son deserve them? How how often does he get the beatings he deserves? No, it's it's all about coping mechanisms, right? Like, so did you deserve those beatings? Yeah, I deserved them because my parents didn't have the coping me- well, mechanisms at the time. Did you deserve them? My dad. That's, well, well, I think that's important, and, and not to say that you were wrong at all. But was it like? I think they did the best they can. I say that about my parents. Like they did the best they can. Uh, every parent did. Uh, I never took a lot of beatings as a kid, as a little kid. Uh, like my see. dad was a big fan of the theater of it. Oh, okay. like, oh what did I? I fucking did something like a climb track. I shouldn't have climbed, 
And then I lied on top of it. <laughs> and I had sap all over my hand. My dad would be like, let me see your hands. You pull his hand out and he turn his Brown University ring over. You make a big show and he'd slap our hands. Like, that's okay. trauma. Like, here's the fucked up thing. I'm positive. My, my dad's a sweetheart. My dad is a great man. I'm positive my, son, my dad didn't hit me hard. But the theater and the drama and the anticipation makes that just as bad mm-hmm. as the time my mom fought finally had enough of my fucking being an idiot and flipped out on me. <laughs> and like, I don't remember, I don't remember the paper it was over because I know it was over a paper. You know, I know, I was famous for doing all my research and just like, all right, I, I wanted to do this paper because I wanted to know about this. Now I know about it, I'm not doing the paper. Like I was famous for that in school. Uh-huh. And I have no idea what the paper was. I have no idea, like I remember, like I, the tree is on Rochambeau Avenue. I know the tree that I climbed, that I shouldn't have climbed, that my dad told me not to climb, and that I lied about. But the paper, like why my mom, the last time my mom flipped on me, I don't remember any of that shit. Mm-hmm. It was way more the performative measures my, like so when I say beatings I deserved, I never got like punched or anything like right. crazy, anything crazy like that. No, no, no. No, no hard spanking. No, like a slap upside the head. Oh, okay. Something that maybe a slap slap on the back, yeah. like, but I, I was bigger than my mom in the sixth grade. Yeah. So, like, by the time I was in the eighth grade, I was like a good thirty to forty pounds bigger than her. So, like, the beings I deserve—that's that's her hitting me hard because she's too small to hurt me, no matter what. Yeah. Um. Yeah. No. I was not like I. I don't want. I don't. I also don't want to be one of those those people who try and capitalize on a rough childhood when they didn't really have one that bad. Right. But that badly. Like, my folks, my folks are awesome. My, no, like, my folks are great. And that's the only reason I even ask about it, too, is because that's something I really question, whether or not I would spank my kids. Like, I hadn't even thought about it until I had a kid. And then when my daughter was maybe not even two, I remember spanking her on her butt. She still had a diaper on, so I don't know how old she was. Yeah. But when I did that, I'm like, the fuck am I doing? I did it because I was angry. Uh, yeah, I got, that's I got, the thing. I, I got spanked a lot. I do, and I always feel like I deserved it. And maybe I did. You know, yeah. I don't know what the right answer yeah. is. And and when I ask you, I'm not judging at all for sure. I'm trying to just figure it out. I like hearing different people's approaches. Uh, but yeah, so but I, I was like, you know what? I was like, fuck, man. I, like, I I can't ever hit her. I will never lay hands on her. I will never even like. I never even like forcibly moved her even from a room anymore. I oh no, I'll, I'll, I'll do all that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, no, I, I don't. No, I'll pick them up and stuff like that. No, no. So what you said is the anger thing, right? So it's got to be corrective, like punitive, like. Punitive in our penal system should be when there's repeat behaviors that have already been treated for correctiveness. Mm -hmm. And like, hey, you keep stealing and we've done these things and we've taught you jobs and we've taught you life skills. We've taught you ways to not have to steal, but you keep stealing. Now it's punitive, Mm -hmm. right? Yo, what does a little kid have to do to be fucking punished? Right. You correct them. And sometimes the correction is with my son it's like hey man if you do that shit it's dangerous i'm telling you right now don't do that if you do it i'm going to like with my son that i was going to say like because we we play fight so much i have to say like hey man 
Like we play fight. We play fight. Like I, I like kick him. If I say, hey, I'm gonna kick you yeah. in the leg and make you cry. My son knows that if I make him cry, it's a different thing. Like it really won't be any harder than I would ever play fight with him. I, like I'm not yeah. into that. That's not my thing. I don't think it's cool. My folks weren't really big hitters. Mm-hmm. So like I, I'm not I'm not like one of those guys. But it's the threat of making him cry. Like I'm gonna make you cry, like I'm gonna be angry with you that he does not he wants nothing to do with. And that's that's perfect. I don't want my kid to be afraid of me. I don't want like Right, yeah. Like I remember uh someone's talking like, you know, these kids these days they're not afraid of adults anymore. I'm like I'm like, I want adults to be afraid of me. I don't want my son to be afraid of me. I'm yeah. like, and if somebody thinks they're going to make my son afraid of them, they better be afraid of me. Mm-hmm. I will beat the shit out of somebody for trying to intimidate my son. It won't even be fun. Like, I don't want my son to be, like, yeah. why would I want my son to grow up fearful? Right. Like, fearful creates behaviors that aren't normal. Mm-hmm. Right? You're afraid of something, so you do things performatively, or you do things... And a desire to avoid any conflict or anything like that. I don't want someone to develop into a strong kid. Yeah. And being fearful is not the way to do it. Being fearful is the way you develop bullies. And like I'm, I'm definitely not into bullying. Right. Yeah. That's how you get in big trouble with me, you know. Yes, indeed. But yeah, yeah. no, dude. I appreciate you sharing this, dude. Uh, that helps because I'm trying to. That's a thing. And no one knows what they're doing when they have kids so yeah. like it's awesome being able to learn from others uh, and just hearing other people's perspective on life is super cool so dude I appreciate this I'm going to fall asleep soon I don't even know what the short story is for this week after the end of every episode I put a short story this one's from 25 perfect days plus 5 more don't remember what it is you'll find out soon Matt Santos thanks so much for coming dude it's been awesome I appreciate it and uh, yeah dude thank you last shout this dude's books are awesome. Like, I'm not a, a big horror reader. Like, I like, like I said, I like male, trashy male romance novels. I like shit that blows up. I like gunfighting. I like some espionage that's really obvious. I've read his books. They're not my cup of tea, but I still enjoyed them. And I've read, I've read a few. You've sent me at least five, I want to say. I want to say I've read all of them. Dude, like, that, I'm pretty sure I've read all of them. That's impressive. It might just tell me when they don't. Like don't the only them. one that I think that I didn't read is the one about MMA. Oh, um, <laughs> like, uh, I live in it, you know. Hey, that, and, and that's the most boring one. That's really? The, that's the one I didn't want to yeah. write. Like, not the front. Like I definitely don't want you to be offended or anything like that. Like no, I don't read. Like I'll buy books about MMA. I just dude, don't read them. Like dude, all my friends tell yeah. me too. They're like, dude, I've never even read your shit. I'm like, no, I get it. No, no, I read all your. I read. I read your books. Like no, the, but, the horror books and like yeah. yeah I, I, don't go back and read Unlock in a Cage. You don't need to. You might be interested in uh, TBI, the, the new one. Yeah. Just because of the brain trauma. In yeah, case yeah, you know that's people. yeah. Because one thing I do want to do, I do want to spread awareness to other guys that have been around TBIs. And, dude, you never even know who's had one. It's not even fighters. It's like military. It's fucking yeah. Like car no, I know. So, listen, I know mad dudes who have had TBIs from the military. Guys who never even had anything bad, bad happen to them have just had a shitload of grenades and rounds oh. fired around them. Those subconcussive yeah. shocks, are, they're, they're still shocks in your brain. They're not good. Shit's not good for your brain. Nothing's good for yeah. your brain other than like, I don't know, air and water. Yeah. <laughs> like, there's so, not much. So that, dude, that's 
the book is all about bringing like hope and awareness. So helping people yeah. see like maybe they have this shit and then how to fix it. But anyhow, another story, fuck another day. Dude, thanks so much. Good night. Peace out, Thank folks. You guys. Later. Twenty twenty, November fourth, twenty fifty eight. Eric Norvac reread the letter, then checked the postmark on the envelope. He had hoped the woman had simply mistyped the date, thought a six instead of an eight, but there it was stamped on the back, June first, twenty fifty six. The towering stack of letters on his desk had to be a hundred high. Eric wondered how many he had handled in the last 21 years as the preacher's personal assistant. How many obsessive fanatics had he dealt with? How many disenchanted nutcases threatening violence? How many women claiming they had a damaging secret worth millions to keep quiet? The smart thing to do would be to stick the letter at the bottom of his stack and eventually get to it. He should forget about it, let it go, but he couldn't. It was eating at him like the cancer ravaging his intestines. Something needed to be said. Eric left the small room he shared with his son, walked up three flights of stairs and entered the pulsing red hollowed hall. Twenty-four carat golden angels lined both sides, their fiery swords raised high overhead, casting the corridor an orange-crimson. People around the world were starving for food, for space. For guidance, but not here. The world's problems never stepped foot inside the walls of the palace. Eric cleared his mind. He wasn't afraid the preacher would read his thoughts, as he often claimed he could. If Eric spoke calmly, he might get his message across. Eric had known Kenneth all his life, for years even thinking of himself as a good friend, but now it seemed his advice no longer mattered. He wasn't even sure how safe it was for him to have an opinion. There was never a good time to interrupt the preacher, especially right after breakfast. Eric knocked on the door anyway. Nathan, the disciple with no neck, bulging shoulders and a spiky blonde crew cut, opened the door wide enough to show his face. What do you want? Eric still felt strange calling Kenneth by his self-appointed name, but he had no choice. A word with the preacher. Nathan twisted his non-existent neck for a moment, then back to Eric. Make it quick. Kenneth sat behind his desk and sat in pajamas, his flaming red hair brushed back. He didn't even look up. Yes? I was hoping for a few minutes of your time. Yes, I suppose. Kenneth scribbled something in a golden notebook. Eric turned to Nathan. Would you mind giving us a minute? Kenneth said. He'll stay. Nathan stepped behind Eric, practically nudging him. I have a question about a letter. Kenneth sighed, his pen still scribbling. Of course you do. Eric started to place it on the desk, but when Kenneth didn't make a move to grab it, Nathan snatched it. It's from two years ago, Eric said. I think it might have been put in my pile by mistake. Nathan doesn't make mistakes when it comes to sorting my mail. No, Your Grace. Of course, Eric said. 
He bowed his head. It's just that we have so many cases and... Kenneth looked up. And what? Do I give you too much work? Is it too hard for you? Not rewarding enough? No, it's fine, Eric said. I only ask because this letter is different from the others. She's not talking about your son. Nathan said, The preacher told you there wasn't a mistake. Well, I'd like to hear it from him. Kenneth scratched his chin. Him. I would like to hear the preacher's answer. Kenneth glanced at the envelope and went back to writing. Not that it matters, but I did consult on that letter. I know what it says. I know blackmail when I see it. But has she written back in two years? If so, then maybe, but if not, then she's obviously not a threat. Kenneth held up his hand to quiet Eric. And you know this how, exactly? Eric knew better than to speak. Kenneth said, We do not question God when he tells me what will pass. This woman intends to harm me in our beloved church. She must be stopped. Eric apologized for questioning him. Kenneth pushed back from his desk, pulled out a nail file. See, it's not just her that's the threat. Just imagine what others will believe. If they say her son shares my blood, he'll have a right to my crown. They'd strike me dead. Kenneth III is just a little boy. If something happened to me today, my son couldn't take over for another fifteen years. But someone born of my bloodline could. Eric said he understood. So you'll take care of her first thing? Of course. Eric had barely taken a step when Kenneth said, And take Nathan with you. That's not necessary. Did you see the cute way she spelled her name? That's reason enough for reinforcements. Nathan laughed on cue. Eric forced a smile, knowing Kenneth no longer trusted him. The seeds of this mistrust were planted when Eric brought back Michael five years before. Eric had been careful, waited a month before bringing home the baby he said he'd rescued from an orphanage. Kenneth had had his suspicions, but allowed him to keep the boy. Eric knew Kenneth would one day recognize himself in Michael. Maybe it was already too late. We'll leave at once, Eric said. I'll grab my gear and meet him by the hover car. Kenneth said to make it ten. I'm not done with you, Nathan. Eric left the room, headed downstairs and went straight to his closet, careful not to wake Michael. He pulled his particle pistol from the top shelf where Michael couldn't reach. After slipping the gun into his holster, he took down other tools from the shelf and clipped them onto his belt. It had been a long time since he'd used the laser saw, tiny torch, or sonic hammer. He'd swore he'd never use them again. The gut-twisting nausea forced Eric to take a seat on Michael's tiny bed. Eric concentrated on his son, the only thing that kept him going, the only reason he'd never left the palace. He'd been foolish enough to believe he could keep Michael safe. He still had five minutes. Maybe they should run. Michael stirred and asked what was going on. Eric kissed his head. I have to go to work. Michael rolled over, fell back asleep. Eric told himself he'd be back, that if he did what was commanded, 
He'd regain Kenneth's trust. Michael would be fine. Eric packed the rest of his gear and walked to the gates. The heat was sickening, so he waited inside the air-conditioned hover car. Ten minutes turned to twenty before Nathan lumbered out of the palace in his silver suit. Amr, a dark-skinned disciple, walked beside him, dressed exactly the same. They slid into the back seat, their TV blaring a moment later. Eric leaned his head against the window, watched as the ocean passed by beneath them in a blur. In a half an hour, they crested the top of the tide wall. The chips in the dashboard enabled them to use the devoted Ways Lane. It wasn't long before they pulled to a stop in front of a run-down shack in the slums of Beverly Hills. Nathan and Almer were chuckling like idiots at their show. Eric got out, and Nathan told him not to move. I can handle it, Eric said. Just finish your program. The disciples got out of the car. Eric slipped on his windbreaker to cover his gun and gear. Really, I've got it. We'll make sure, Nathan said. You know, never can be too careful, right? Then at least wait here until I get inside. She won't open up if she sees all three of us. Then we'll open it for her, Amr said. There's no reason for that, Amr said. What does that matter? Eric's jaw clenched. You want to force her into a corner? It's going to take hours to get her to talk. Is that what you want? Nathan pulled Amr back. Let the old man do it his way. He's not going anywhere. He told Eric he had ten minutes. Eric went up to the front porch, held on to the railing for balance. Once he had his legs back under him, Eric knocked. Footsteps hurried toward the door. A well-built blonde in a red polka dot sundress opened up, her voice painfully sweet. Well, hi there. Eric gave his best grin. Hello, ma'am. Ma'am, she laughed, covered her mouth like a shy teenager. You're funny. What's your name? Before he could answer, she held out her hand and said, I'm Vicky, with two eyes. They shook hands and Eric gave his name. No need to lie. Good God, it's hot out here. Vicky fanned her chest and said, You want to come on in for a glass of water? Eric said that'd be nice and entered her house. It was never this easy, but he made sure to turn back to the disciples to give a little nod, to show them he knew what he was doing. Vicky flicked on a switch. You'll need some light to see my hall of treasures. Although her body could have passed for a twenty-year-old's, the light showed the rest of her was nearing sixty. She had work done, but the plastic surgeon seemed to have only been paying attention to her body. Eric felt it happening, but there was nothing he could do to stop the violent hacking coughs. It sounded like his throat was coming apart. Oh my. Vicky's hand slid around his lower back, helped guide him to a seat. Here, I'll get you that water. She poured a glass pitcher. The water looked clean, but there was no way of knowing. Eric guzzled it. She said, You shouldn't be out in this mess. It causes all sorts of nasty stuff. I'm fine. Eric forced himself to his feet. His legs were wobbly, but he was feeling better. Vicky pointed toward the framed photographs lining the right side of the hallway. 
These are from when I was younger. Eric couldn't help but admire her scandalous snapshots, each one more provocative than the last. Her long hair cascaded over low-cut dresses. He could see why the Reverend had been attracted to her. He was even in several of the pictures. Things weren't looking well for Vicky. A big fan, I see, Eric said. Oh yes, he was a great man. She showed him to the dining room, where she took a seat. She offered one to Eric, but he waved it off, finished the last of his water. Eric couldn't help but stare at her parted legs, long and silky. Vicky covered her legs with a blanket, kept her hands underneath. Sorry if it's too chilly. I like the air all the way up. She stared at him and smiled. Way too calm for this sort of thing. You know who I am, don't you? I'm old, not dumb, but I've done nothing wrong. Did someone say that I had said something blasphemous? You know how women can be. Jealous bitches. She held her wrist to expose her chip. Scan me. I'm not here to check that, but it is nice to see you're a member. Of course I'm a member and I pay my tithe. It may not be much, but check my records. A loud click from the hallway made her jump. It's okay, Eric said. The disciples walked into the living room. Eric knew it hadn't been ten minutes. Or had it. This damn cough. Would you gentlemen like something to drink? You get anything yet? Nathan asked. He looked nervous and angry, like he'd just gotten a call from Kenneth berating him for letting Eric go in alone. We're getting to that. Getting to what? Vicky said. You know damn well what? Amr said. You claim to birth the preacher's brother, Eric said. You said your son is so very smart and good-looking and would be an asset to the way. I never had any children, Eric asked. Why would you send the letter? What letter? I never sent the letter. She's lying, Nathan said. It's off your printer. Eric knew he had to make this look good. He undid his jacket so the tools on his belt would show. I'm sure she's just remembering incorrectly. My meds, Vicky said. Sometimes I don't think straight. Eric asked her what kind of pills she took. Before she could answer, Nathan said, Tell us where your kid is. She trembled and slipped both hands under the blanket. I don't know what you're talking about. Eric didn't know if he could go through with this. He'd killed hundreds at the insistence of the preacher, but that was before Michael and his mother, a fourteen-year-old altar girl who couldn't possibly disappear and take care of a newborn. Maybe there's something else I can give you, Vicky subtly hiked up the blanket, revealing more of her long legs. I don't have a lot of money, but you can take anything you want. Nathan and Almer were glued to her shiny calves. Why don't you two wait outside, Eric said. I work better alone. Oh, we know all about how you work. Nathan's hand rested on the butt of his gun. Now get to it. Eric studied Vicky and asked her if the letter was true. Did you have the reverend's child? Tears rolled down her cheeks and splashed off her breasts. But I never knew him. I don't know his name. I gave him up for adoption after the delivery. See, that wasn't so hard. 
Eric tried to think of some way to get the disciples to go outside. He could have Vicky strip down and hide, fire his particle pistol, and show them the pile of clothes as proof of her death. He turned to Nathan. She's talking. Let me handle... Nathan pushed past him. Eric tried to reach out but stopped. A loud blast ripped through the room. The particle beam struck the side of Nathan's head, vaporizing his upper body before it fell against Eric. Another blast. A loud oomph from Almer like he got punched in the gut. Eric stared down at the two empty silver suits. Vicky aimed a gun at Eric's head. Eric held up his hands and noticed his holster was empty. Vicky, with two eyes, was a lot smarter than he'd given her credit for. I was going to let you go, he said. Vicky took a deep breath and blew it out. The gun never wavered. Sure you were. I was going to fake it. That's why I was trying to get them outside. I'm not a killer. You just carry the tools? I know how it looks, but you have to believe me. If I don't report back, then he'll send a squad of controller force agents here. And if you report back without these two, what then? He'll just forget about it? I can convince him. I already gave up my son once. I'm not doing it again. And you wouldn't have to. You two can leave. Start a new life somewhere else. I'm afraid it's too late for that. Please, Vicky. I have a son, too. He's five. Vicky's finger tightened around the trigger. Then you understand. This has been a presentation of the Project Entertainment Network.